we be able to, we just want him to tell us what he saw, what he felt, what he heard. That's what is happening here in Matthew. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry. Stop it. Stop it. Folks, this is so simple. So simple, profound. To really grasp what is said here and be grasped by what is said here? Would that make a difference in your life experience? The way you walk through this fallen, crooked, <laughs> messed up, in turmoil, world to know that in the midst of this fallen crooked messed up in turmoil world you have a shepherd going with you 
to meet every need. A shepherd that carries a rod. We're told in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for anything. He's meeting every need. His rod and his staff comfort me. I'm a sheep. And I see that shepherd carrying a rod. Why is that a comfort to me? Because that's what he uses to beat off the predators. And so I need, no, I don't need to fear the predators because my shepherd has that issue addressed. I see the staff, that shepherd's crook, in his other hand. What's that for? When I do something really stupid and I get myself all caught up and tangled in the thorns. Well, shepherds aren't about the business of getting in there and getting themselves torn. They've got this shepherd's crook so they can reach into the thorns, put that crook, and it was big, around the trunk of the, the body of the sheep and then drag the sheep out of the thorns. So I take comfort in that knowing that even when I do something stupid, he has the wherewithal to get me out of the messes I've gotten myself into. Now, I know I'm peeking to people who never get themselves into messes, but we just prayed for a brother who's getting himself in a mess that the Lord would yank him out of there, right? We can pray that. How many, who am I supposed to serve? How many masters? Just one. We have part of the environment is the world speaking to us, trying to distract us, trying to set up other gods, trying to give us a sales pitch on, you know, life, joy, gladness is attached to things and places. And if I can just get into that place and have these things then joy and gladness will be mine. And what's the uniform experience of people who get there? Is this all there is? This isn't living up to its advertising. And so they go out and they have to move to a different place with other stuff in order, and they keep falling for the same. And God says, stop it. You won't find life there you won't find joy and gladness there you find joy and gladness we just we just sang a whole lot of hymns that talk about standing in the very presence of God singing great hymns to him folks we're going to be dwelling in the presence of God No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the It's Whenever you're trying to serve two masters, it affects your relationship with both things. So don't do that. Notice what he says. You, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, growing up, for many decades, I've been in, I got plugged into Jesus basically when I was about 16. 
And the word mammon always had that uniformly negative concept attached to it. And I've discovered in my study that's not really right. The word mammon, now it's come to have that because of our use of it, but the word mammon actually simply means that which is entrusted to you. So the concept here is God has entrusted things to us, but I'm supposed to serve him, not the stuff he's entrusted to me. And by the way, listen to this. If he's entrusted it to me, who does it belong to? Him. Not God. When I go to the bank and I put money into a savings account, that money doesn't belong to the bank. It still belongs to me. I've just entrusted it to them to care for. And if it says savings account, you know, maybe get some interest out of it. But it doesn't belong to God. Has in, he's entrusted things to us, but they belong to him who owns the creation and everything in it the creator owns it and we've got people strutting around the planet bragging about all the stuff they own i'm sorry you don't own anything i don't care who i don't care if your name is rockefeller i don't care what your name is gates i don't you know that stuff that mansion you live in mr bill gates out there out on that island in the san juan islands it's not yours it's god's he's just entrusted it to you in fact it, i would dare say it's probably a pretty big burden by now and so you're hating it because you become focused on it. And so what does he say? You cannot serve God and mammon. So stop serving mammon and serve God. Because the day is coming when you're going to step into God's presence. All the stuff will be left behind. You'll be in God's presence. And it's how you have handled that which was entrusted to you. that will become the issue of your reward in his kingdom. But don't love the stuff. It's not yours. It's not mine. So don't love that stuff. It's his, invested with you, but it's his. You cannot successfully serve two masters. And if you have the understanding, I'm to serve God. Yes, he has entrusted things to me, but they still belong to God. It allows me to be emotionally detached from the things in a mature adult way. So I can make use of them for his glory, but not they don't become my idol. They don't become the core of my life. He remains the core of my life. This other stuff is just tangential. It's been entrusted to me. And I'm going to give an account to him on how I made use of it for his praise and glory. 
Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Food, beverages, clothing. I would say those are the essentials that every human being got to be able to eat, got to be able to have a beverage, you got to have liquid, you got to have water, and you've got to have covering. What a beautiful illustration we have in the life experience of those Israelis that came out of Egypt. One of the things that amazes me, how many Israelis came out of Egypt? You know what the real, it's somewhere between two and a half and four million. That's a lot of people coming out of Egypt. They watched as they're in Egypt, as the 10 plagues are taking place. They are watching the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob completely humiliate every single Egyptian god. They had ten major gods. And every single one of those ten plagues was directed against a different Egyptian god, and God humiliated all of them. We know that because when Moses and Israel got into the wilderness, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, the king of the Midianites, came and met with him, and he is, a pro he is a priest of the true God. And Moses told him what had happened. And he's just dumbstruck. <laughs> Your God humiliated every Egyptian God. That's how we know that every one of those plagues was directed against a, a different Egyptian God. That the, and they, they were the most powerful, prosperous nation on the planet that we know of. And God turned the most prosperous, powerful nation on the planet into a trash dump. Completely broke their wealth and did the final nail in the coffin on their power when he drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. There was nothing left. And then they get through into the wilderness, two and a half to four million people into the Wilderness, they've come from one of the most agriculturally productive, so they get to eat. One of the most agriculturally productive places on the planet into the wilderness, two and a half to four million people, and they've got to eat. They've got to have enough water to drink. And as just as we read a few minutes ago from Exodus 15, they've just come through the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness, and immediately they've got a water problem. They do come upon water, and it's enough, but it's bitter. It's mara. It's bitter. And they rise up against Moses because they can't get at God. So let's take it out, our anger with God on Moses. And God defends Moses. Moses, you see that tree over there. By the way, this is such a beautiful illustration, clearly prophetic of Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus who is nailed to a tree, so to speak, you take, you cut that tree down and you cast that tree into the bitter waters and they will become sweet. Jesus' work on the cross, when we entrust, 
when we welcome the benefit of what Jesus did for us on that tree, we trade the bitter for the sweet. He took the bitter due to us on that tree so that our lives, our life experience could become sweet. Well, here is what it happened there at the bitter waters is the tree was cast in and they became sweet. And so all of a sudden the thirst need of Israel was met. And then the food need. We're talking, they're going to be 40 years in the wilderness. How are you going to feed two and a half to four million people for 40 years? And again, there was a great rebellion against Moses, the one they could reach, and the Lord. And what did God provide? What is called in the Psalms, angel's food. Manna. Manna is a Hebrew word meaning, what is it? because the the Israelis had never encountered this particular food before. What is it? And every six days, first day through sixth day, they would go out and pick up the manna that was just out there on the ground in the morning. They would pick it up, carry it home to their tents in pots. They were only to take one day's worth. And you, of course, many of you will know the account. You know the account, what happened. They, they, oh, when the first time it happened, we were told just to get one day's worth. But, you know, we got to, we don't know if this is ever going to happen again. We got to really make sure God hasn't made a mistake here and we haven't gotten the word wrong. And so they got a whole lot more than the one day's worth and it all putrefied. Everything that was left over that was to be for the second, third, and whatever more than the first day putrefied, had insects all over it, and it was just horrible, horrible. The only day, on the sixth day, they were told to pick up two days' worth because they would need it to get through the day of rest, the seventh day. And it wouldn't putrefy, but that was the only time they could pick up more than one day's worth and it not putrefying. But you better only get two days' worth. Two and a half to four million people, 40 years in the wilderness. Bitter water turned sweet, but then they moved away from those, that geographical location. They're out, and, and again they had a water need, and again they rise up against Moses. And some of you have seen the photographs. They actually know where this is. By the way, let me just uh, maybe shock some of you. The Israelis didn't wander around the Sinai Peninsula. There's actually no archaeological evidence of an Israeli presence in the Sinai Peninsula. But there is lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of archaeological evidence that the Israelis wandered all over what we would call the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And Mount Sinai is actually in northwest Saudi Arabia. That's where Midian was, and that's where the burning bush was, and that's where God said, you, people are, you're gonna, you're, you and your people are going to come back here and worship me at this mountain. Moses was in Midian, northwest Saudi Arabia, when that happened. 
And so they crossed into the Red Sea crossing was actually the Gulf of Aqaba, that projection off of the northeast corner of the Red Sea. That's where they crossed into the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And they're out there, and they're out of water again. And here is, there is a place, and I've seen the photographs. Here is this hill, and on top of the hill, there's this enormous obelisk. I mean, it is a, an enormous piece of granite sticking up, what, 100 feet or probably 150 feet in the air at least on top of a hill in the middle of the desert. And where does God tell Moses to go to solve the water problem? Not towards the water, the opposite of the expected direction. Go up on this hill, and Moses, I will meet you there at the, at the rock. And the narrative is very interesting. When Moses went up the hill, the Lord was standing before the rock. And Moses was told to take his staff and strike the rock. He had to strike through the Lord to strike the rock. And here you can, I've seen the photographs. Many of you who are here have. Here is this enormous obelisk on top of a hill in the Saudi desert, and it's got a crack going all the way down to the top. And he struck through the Lord, hit the rock, it cracked, and the water began to flow from the base of this rock. And the The evidence of enormous amounts of water flowing from the base of this rock are still there on this mountain, on this hilltop. And that water followed them as they went through the desert. The water followed them through the desert. Enough for two and a half to four million people for years. Water, food, clothing. What was the testimony? Now, those of you who are fashion conscious, this probably wouldn't be considered a great blessing. But you don't own that stuff. Remember what we just said? Mammon, you don't own it. They are about to enter 40 years. They're about to enter the promised land, cross the Jordan, it says in the text, and Moses points it out to the people, in 40 years, your shoes have not worn out. Your clo the clothes you came out of Egypt with, you are still wearing. Now, some of us would be kind of bummed out by that. <laughs> but their clothes in 40 years, their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out. Day after day after day, their food, their water, and their clothing needs were met. The essentials of living on this planet were met day after day after day. Every day, go out and get the manna. Don't worry. Don't worry. I am with you. I will meet 
your needs. Therefore, I say to you, verse 25, do not worry about your life. That is a command. Lord, you don't know what to stop it. You ever had heaven say to you, stop it? I have. Stop it. You know what my promise is. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And it is amazing how focused we can become on the stuff that doesn't matter. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says to those gathered at his, at his feet. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your, heaven, your heavenly Father feeds them. He's already taught them to pray. Our Father in heaven. Your heavenly Father. Father feeds the birds. Are you not of more value than they? You get to call him Father. You get to call him Father because that is what he is to you. That is what he is to you. An authentic Father as modeled in the scripture is a man who absolutely will meet the needs of his family whatever the cost he the god of our lord jesus christ never takes his eyes off of us he's never distracted he is always there to meet our needs Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't even save stuff back. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, is the presumed answer. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You can't even make yourself grow by worrying. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, Jesus has already told us earlier in, his, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's made the statement, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. The cloak, as I mentioned at that time, it was forbidden under Roman law to sue a man for his cloak. You could sue him for his tunic, but not for his cloak. Because the cloak was actually that overcoat, what amounted to his protection out in the wilderness. If you're a shepherd or out there, it is your protection. It's how you stayed warm and survived. You could take, sue him for his tunic, but not his cloak. Jesus says, if they want to sue you for your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Because God, why? The responsibility for your defense and warmth rests with God. 
don't worry about your clothes. Have an empty hand. So they come, wow, we're going to sue you for your tunic. We can't get your clothes. Oh, no, here, go ahead. Here's my tunic and my clothes. How about that? What? We're not even allowed to take that from you. I don't know. Hey, God is my provider. I don't have to worry about that. Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Oh, God will clothe you not just in the necessary... He will actually make a splash out there. Why? Because it will be a testimony for him. Ladies and gentlemen, you know why we're here? We're here to be put in places of testing, just like Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. We are here to be put in places of testing, 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 testing. Lord, I don't like testing. Yes, I understand that. Testing, testing. Testing, testing, so that as our needs are met and met and met and met and met and met, the world has to stand back and say, how did that happen? How did that happen? And the only explanation is God showed up. I love that men who and women who have been here in our church from around the world that have can testify to that. In fact, advertisement, October, Sunday, October the 15th, we're going to have a man speaking here from Pakistan who had to flee Pakistan for his life many, many years ago, about 17, 16, 17 years ago. And this congregation came up with the money to rescue his wife and two children and get them out. And he's going to be here so both Sunday morning and Sunday evening, October the 15th. But his needs were met and met and met and met and met. And was it a test? Oh, it was a test. It was a test. It was a test. It was a test. But that's how God makes a name for himself. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What does he ask? What is it we are asked to show up at the table with? Faith. Trust. 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 That's it. Therefore, do not worry. I think he just said that. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? I mean, we have all had conversations with people. We're encouraging them not. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but you don't know what it's like. Oh, stop it. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. He only drank water. And at the end of 40 days, Lucifer showed up and said, if you're the son of God, you can turn stones into bread. Well, that was actually true. So why don't you turn these stones into bread? 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm not here to feed myself. I'm here to be fed by my Father. And by the way, that need was met later when angels showed up and gave him angels' food. Manna. Therefore, do not worrying, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. They make it their life's goal, their ambition to have the stuff. And how many businesses are there right here in Kerrville, Texas, one of God's waiting rooms, that are estate sale businesses? Selling off the stuff. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God isn't unaware. He knows you need them. But he's your Father, and he will supply the need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Put the first things first. Do that, and God says, I'll meet these other needs. That's the deal. You seek me. You seek my kingdom. I'll take care of the needs. Well, Lord, you don't know. No, I do know what it's like. Stop it. For after all these things the Gentiles speak, seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God will be there to meet your need to defend you. And I can, I can name people right here sitting in this, in this room right now who have witnessed God stepping in and delivering them out of certain death. I mean, humanly speaking, there was no way survival was even possible. And yet here they are sitting here. Yeah, that's true. Well, God just doesn't do that and then get distracted. No, he is that need meter all the time, and he is never distracted. He is focused on us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, these necessities, shall be added to you. Therefore, can I say it again? Do not worry. Is Jesus trying to make a point here? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. God's commitment is to meet today's needs today. But Lord, the pantry's empty. Yes, I'm aware of that. It's called ma the manna plan. It's called the manna plan. But Lord, I'm not really comfortable with that plan. Where is my prom where is my promise to you to make you feel comfortable and at ease while you're distracted from me? That's not how it works. No. I love you so much. 
I want to bring you to the place of maximum blessing, and that is by pursuing me. Maximum blessing resides with me. When you're distracted from me, you're actually leaving blessing behind you. At the same time, you're insanely seeking it over here is to be found with me. And so I've asked you to do one thing. Seek me by faith, walk believing my promises. That's how you stepped into the kingdom. You were a lost, fallen, condemned sinner who had no hope. I put my son on a cross to pay sins as your substitute to pay sins penalty for you. I poured out on him all of the punishment, all of the judgment that you would take an eternity in the lake of fire paying. I poured it out on him in a space of time on the cross. He said, it is finished. It is paid in full. The sin debt of the human race is paid. And when you, the way you stepped into the benefit of that was by simply holding out an empty hand and letting me fill it. You by faith went, and I went, I placed the promise, the forgiveness into your head. And that's the pattern for relationship with me. As I expect you to walk through one day at a time with a hand held out in expectation to me. And I promise you I will fill your hand with that day's necessities. But Lord, that's uncomfortable. I don't. It's not about comfortable. It's about faith. And if you trust me, when you step into my presence, having gone through the course of your time on earth, trusting me on a daily basis, you will step into my presence and you will step into eternal reward. That's the payday. That's the payday. And you will be clothed then so sumptuously that Solomon in all of his glory will go, wow, and I thought I was impressive. <laughs> no. Let's pray together. Our Father, you've entrusted things to us to be used for your praise, not to be worshipped, not to be trusted in, not to make the focus of our life. You are the focus of our life. And we do believe that you are our good Father. And we are all those people for whom we prayed earlier. We hold them before you again. And we are asking for each one of them that there will be a day, a moment, in the near future, when there will be a shout of rejoicing as the, yes, the food, water, clothing needs have been met, but even the greater needs, even the greater needs of healing, of shepherding. We commit ourselves to you for your praise in the midst of the test. We trust you.
to be our authentic father. And all God's people said, Amen.